Hi everyone, welcome back to How to Self-Therapize. I am joined again, of course, with my mentor and boss, Dr. Miller. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Miller, as always. Good evening, Rebecca. And how are you tonight? I'm good. This is the first time we're recording an evening podcast, so we'll see how effectively these wheels will be turning today, hopefully. Hopefully effective enough. Yes, well, we're going to hope for that. And you're right, we can encourage each other on yes. if our wheels aren't yes. turning. Yes. As long as there's no windows around us, we don't know that it's nighttime That's outside. Right. So we can convince ourselves <laughs> of otherwise. That's right. So as always, we begin by kind of properly identifying what we'll be talking about. The episode today is entitled How to Squash Your Inner Critic. So this is self-talk that we're talking about, this voice in your head. Um, because there is such thing as a constructive self-talk and there is such thing as negative self-talk. So kind of this idea of an angel on your shoulder versus the devil on your shoulder. How do we differentiate when it's problematic versus motivating and actually good for you? Um, I was reading a Healthline article and the way they worded, they give an example of negative self-talk versus constructive. So this can look like negative would be, I can't do anything right, so me focused in yourself versus I need to find better ways to manage my time, which is there's nothing innately wrong with me, but I think I need to find some better strategies and coping mechanisms. So to be aware of the language that this voice kind of uses um, is really key because a lot of the research points to how, how we talk about ourselves and the voice in this head can have really, the voice in our heads can have really detrimental impacts, not only on our mental health and our self-esteem and our confidence, but also in terms of physical health and this stress can cause physical ailments. And again, we talk about the importance of mind-body connection a lot. And um, if our mind is strong and our mind is confident, then our bodies will also kind of project that same, that same energy and vice versa. On top of this, more neurologically, the more that we go down this rabbit hole of negative self-talk, that reinforces and strengthens these neural connections in our brain to consistently think negatively. And it's training our brain to think this way. So if we can recognize it and put an end to it, then we can make sure that we're not getting into this kind of habit of negatively talking to ourselves and about ourselves. Right, very well said. I mean, lots of really important points because the inner critic is going to be that negative voice and it will then reinforce something negative about who we are, which then also opens up and activates the emotions that are more negative. Mm -hmm. And a lot of negative critic thinking is fueled by shame. And shame is that really difficult emotion that can be activated around a sense of something's wrong with me that may have come in through, uh, you know, an earlier on relationship. Um, It can come in through any relationship, to be honest, even a current one that Mm -hmm. you're in, where there may be some sort of relational dynamic where someone is saying to you or showing you in their behaviors that you're not worthy and you don't matter. And it's not safe enough to emotionally express out some sort of emotional boundary, as we've talked about boundaries, that I'm not okay with what you're saying about me or this experience I'm in with you. And we internalize it and it becomes something's wrong with me. And then the inner critic, because the body doesn't know how to feel all that through or it's not safe, then the brain creates neural pathways around thoughts and that inner critic dialogue. Mm -hmm. You know, if something is wrong with me, I'm stupid, I'm not enough, no one will love me, starts to kick in. Mm -hmm. And I think what's scary to me about the inner critic is that, like you said, in relationships, a lot of the time you can 
identify these threats, and, I, and I'll talk a little bit about this later too, but in, the ter- in terms of an inner critic, it's, it's not in your environment, it's actually internal, so it's really hard to escape that threat, and that can manifest as fear, guilt, shame, all of these negative emotions, and these negative feelings are actually more powerful in the brain than positive ones, so they really just take hold, and that's how you get kind of in this vicious cycle of thought patterns. Mm-hmm. So in breaking it down, let's talk about kind of a formula provided by this article from Healthline um, for when an inner critic can become problematic. And this is when we do not know how to recognize, address, and prevent the negative self-talk from happening. Because of course, if we let it get out of hand, these these types of negative thoughts and behaviors can morph into more serious issues with self-esteem, self-hatred, anxiety, depression, etc. So we'll start by how do people recognize this? How do people recognize that this self-talk is actually negative and not constructive? To me, this is probably the hardest part because like I mentioned, when there's a negative energy in your environment, a lot of the time you can identify it and remove yourself from the situation or from a person who's giving you negative energy. But in this case, you can't escape this kind of torment because it's actually within your mind. So it's hard to get away from. How can people kind of start to separate themselves from this inner dialogue before it begins to become debilitating or um, kind of manifest into Mm self-hatred? Well, there's a few things to think about, and you said it well. It's hard to separate yourself from these thoughts, these inner critic thoughts that are really negative because they evoke an emotional response and stress in the body. So I usually say you know, use the bottom-up approach, which is Dr. Bruce Perry's work. You have to go in from the back of the brain, which is their brain that is very much then stressed if it's a fight-flight freeze response from the inner critic and some of that really negative thought. We're going to feel fear. We're going to feel shame. We're going to feel some sort of self-judgment. So go into your body. And how do you do some simple breathing exercises, some deep breathing, bring compassion, that right now I am feeling like I am not worthy, recognize it and identify emotions and say, okay, if in this moment I am feeling very, let's say, shameful, then start to recognize it, use strategies to talk about it, find a safe person, journal about it, you know, recognize the negativity, that negative stress response, and then go in to the next step, which is really address it from more of a cognitive lens Mm -hmm. because if you try and tell your inner critic stop it usually gets louder right it's bratty I call it bratty brain (laughs) and so usually I just recognize bratty brains in town Mm -hmm. and bratty brain is going to try and get me to feel bad about who I am Mm -hmm. and that comes from experiences in my life where I may have internalized that I was a bad person you know from relationships that maybe gave me that information or social media posts or whatever wherever it comes from so I just recognize bratty brain kind of just say okay you're in town then what do I need to do to recognize my feelings around that Mm -hmm. but bring my feelings to a better place have compassion that I am making efforts to change something that maybe I didn't know the answer that I said something in a way that maybe wasn't the best way and so self-compassion and empathy and then I think about, okay, how do I talk back to Braddy Brain, right? Mm -hmm. And really just seeing it as, you know, if I can find other ways to appreciate efforts I'm making. You said, talked about effort. 
Because that's when you know that the inner critic is lessening. Mm-hmm. Because now it's more about the effort I'm taking that I even want to change this, that I'm even acknowledging that there's something in this that, right, I want to feel through and address and make better for myself and the people I care about. Mm-hmm. I really like how you touched on starting from the bottom up. So starting from a physiological perspective. If internally you're feeling that you can't get it out of this thought cycle, well then maybe you can tune into your body to help regulate that, right? So like you mentioned, kind of using breath work, um, trying to engage your parasympathetic nervous system to get into a relaxed state so that you can then kind of tune into the thoughts and emotions and then go from there. Um, you actually brought up a really good point that I was going to say as a, as a strategy for, for dealing with um, the inner critic and a lot of therapists really recommend this too is to give it a name so you called it the bratty brain um but by imagining what this voice looks like and then giving giving it a name like you mentioned um it can allow you to see it as something separate from the self a and the segregation from the self-criticism can help someone to acknowledge that it's not them who it's the issue it's bratty brain or it's I was joking saying that it's, I would name it Voldemort. It's just like <laughs> something just terrible that, that is very separate from yourself because mm-hmm. it has no backing and it has no fact to it. It really is just a piece that's trying to bring you down and manifested as fear, mm-hmm. like we mentioned. And so, so you have the power to believe how much bratty brain or Voldemort is telling you. And then in turn, when you're giving it this name and separating it from yourself, it loses some of its power and allows you to take back some of that control and autonomy. Um, also then when it comes up thereafter, you can quickly name it and identify it as something that isn't you and that you are not that problem. Right, and that frees you up not to have to feel the difficult emo- emotions that it can evoke, right? Because when you see it as bratty brain, it makes it a little more playful in a way that you can call it the name whatever the name Mm -hmm. is you want to use but also in play it humanizes things a little bit more right it's like oh bratty brains in town and you can play around with that and I'm going to tell bratty brain off today like Mm -hmm. I've had enough of bratty brain but it allows you to free up some emotional space that maybe it's a little lighter a little easier and you can be with those emotions and then you release some of that emotional you know um, burden that you've been carrying because of bratty brain and then it's easier to feel other things mm-hmm. for yourself which is where the compassion comes in and the empathy mm-hmm. and then recognize that you're wanting something right to change and what are small steps you can take mm-hmm. which is where your positive reinforcements come in and it's like yeah I am wanting to change or actually I'm not wanting to change right now because I'm more comfortable with who I am even though that bratty brain was telling me that I wasn't a good person Actually, I am a good person. I like the person I am. And so you override bratty brain. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have the same power anymore. Exactly. I think it's a huge emphasis on power dynamics. So Mm -hmm. when you kind of say, okay, this is bratty brain and this is me, I'm going to tell bratty brain off today. It's like a protective factor. I'm going to protect myself. I know what that voice is saying isn't true about me. And I have the power to protect my emotions and create a safe space for me. But it does take a lot of effort and emotional awareness and self-awareness to get to the point of this voice is separate from the self and it it does take work to get there. In terms of addressing, so that second piece of the formula, one of the best ways to address difficulties I think across all situations in life is confrontation and really having the courage to face things head on. 
and talking things out is one of the greatest ways that allows us not to be alone in things and conf- no, by no means are people required to confront things alone. Um, even just having a conversation with a loved one and externalizing these thoughts of self-blame and saying them out loud might even a lot of the time alleviate these thoughts and saying them out loud might people might come to the realization that hey this is not a true reflection of me so how how do you in practice kind of facilitate these discussions um, and help people to draw out these and externalize these internal dialogues that they have or how could someone kind of mediate a discussion with a loved one who's having these difficult internal battles to to externalize and talk about it and confront it or invite the conversation yeah and I think the number one thing always is psychological safety creating a safe space where it's okay to say it out loud Um, that's Dr. Scott Miller's work always talking about the role of a healthy relationship is the number one therapeutic tool you have that's for all people in the therapy relationship and outside of the therapy relationship a safe relationship our safety in a relationship says I'm here to listen and I'm here to validate and anything you're thinking and or feeling isn't wrong and so when you create that safety people aren't alone with the inner critic anymore Mm -hmm. the inner critic is exposed right and it's placed into a safe relationship and then really for me also looking at what are the feelings right now so they're not alone alone in the feelings that the inner critic has brought them to and then when they're in those feelings to safely feel them through and Mm -hmm. that frees up space right so that they're not so stressed and emotionally burdened by what the inner critic is saying to them and then that's that bottom-up approach really to be mindful create that parasympathetic response where they can be safe to feel and then to change right thinking patterns with the support of a person that's there to value and honor who they really are not what the inner critic says they Mm -hmm. are do you think confrontation is almost like a protective factor against shame because I think a lot of the time the thing with shame is people hide it and they they almost like shelter the shame and they repress it and keep it inside because it's something that they believe about themselves and then feel that shame against it but it's almost gaining power when you externalize it bring it to the light and make it a conversation do you Mm -hmm. think that confrontation can be healing for in that regard yes shame is actually a very powerful emotion because at the root of it is I am not worthy and if you think about that like think about the very primitive or the it's a very core primitive response in life to want to know you're worthy think of babies what do they want they want to have the comfort and care and know they matter Mm -hmm. so when you're in an uh, experience of shame it's a core rejection of self which goes against the core of who we are Mm -hmm. and the kind of the ultimate connection that we seek is to know within ourselves and with others that we matter Mm -hmm. so in the shame experience it is to bring to light the vulnerability in shame and to do that in a safe relationship where someone holds space for your worth with compassion and empathy Mm -hmm. and the research too on children is that if you have two groups of children and you have the children that are neglected and the children that are rejected for the neglected children as long as they have food and shelter and their basic needs are met and there's people around them but people aren't really um, engaging them a lot they will make up a story in their mind 
about the worth of who they are in relation to that world. And in some ways, they'll fill in the gaps and, you know, my family, myself, and I play ball and I do things. If you have children that are in a group um, or in an experience, this group where they're rejected, so they have people around them that are with them all the time, but they reject them, which is you are, you don't matter, you cause me, you know, so many struggles, you're stupid, etc., etc. Those children will internalize mm -hmm. and carry that wound across the lifespan, which can turn into a lot of psychological despair and certain psychological conditions, because the core of their experience is to be rejected. And within rejection, you can't really make up a story. Mm -hmm. You internalize a story. I am not worthy. So in the adult version where that inner critic is playing that out and you bring in that shame, a safe, caring relationship that honors and values that person and hears them through the critic's story but opens that space for them to feel the worth of who they are mm -hmm. can help to heal the shame and allows them to release that story because the story is not relevant anymore because they feel into the worth of who they are through the safety of that relationship with someone else. It's interesting though that we also have the capacity to develop our own story of kind of self-compassion and healing. So it's almost like it's a mechanism that lives within ourselves similar to the self and showing ourselves self-compassion that we can find not only in other relationships that are nurturing but maybe deep down, of course, that takes a lot of work to get there. But I think you're saying something important. That is coming back to the importance of a good relationship with yourself. Mm -hmm. That every day you do a practice, you know, it can be a practice of gratitude to think of positivistic psychology, where you would implement, right, that gratitude for yourself mm -hmm. and who you are and the values and the way you show care and concern for yourself, for others, things you're doing, right to really honor that relationship with yourself because mm -hmm. really at the end of the day it is you who you are having a relationship with yourself every day yes mm -hmm. and the most reliable relationship maybe of, of all yeah. and another way that you can show yourself this kind of compassion and reframing this inner critic is instead of saying things that are kind of framed in the eye so saying i suck at exams i will never pass an exam i'm terrible I'm like stupid, I'm terrible ac academically, things like this, to reframe that into a more future-directed and action-directed language and saying, I didn't pass this exam, but next time if I spend more time doing X, Y, Z, then I might have a better outcome. So still remaining realistic, but without this piece of self-hatred or self-criticism um, that comes with failure, which is sometimes inevitable. It's okay to feel that, but it's also important to show kindness to yourself. Mm -hmm. And to come out of the all or nothing, you know, mm -hmm. it's almost like it's either bad or it has to be good mm -hmm. versus the process in between, which is really where we show up most days is the process in between. We're always working towards something. But if I critique myself and say, I didn't get that grade, I miss the process of what I did to do my best. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes, exactly. So now changing gears to the preventative aspect. Um, I think a lot of people could benefit from listening to our last podcast where we talk about um, IFS, so internal family systems therapy, um, which is rooted in self-compassion and healing. Um, another psychologist, Tara Brack, talks about the critic being a manifestation of fear, which is really similar to the conversation we had around IFS, where we talk about the emotional voice in our head being a manifest manifestation of fear and vulnerability. 
And like Dr. Grubler said last week on our episode, that everyone has these inner critics that are telling us all of these negative things all the time. And she made this comparison to a child like tugging on your clothes and asking for attention. And the more and more you ignore it, the stronger this this child or this voice gets. Um, and sometimes it can simply be diffused by con- inviting that thought in and just listening and tuning into your body and your and your emotions and your thoughts. And to show it some compassion with an open mind and saying that it's okay to feel or say what it is you're saying and seeing this critic as a part of us that's scared to fail instead of a voice of reason that has fact to it. And then we can begin to kind of understand where it's rooted by showing it this kindness and self-compassion. What do you think is this gray area between getting from self-compassion to fear? Because I think it's such a fine line, but it requires a lot of emotional awareness to get from a fearful, you know, self-hatred, self-critical part to I need to show my, I need to let go and show myself this compassion. Mm. I think a number one step is to start with the fact that you are feeling fear. Mm-hmm. Give yourself permission to be afraid. A lot of uh, relationships, as you've come through a relationship that is, um, whether abusive, controlling, negative, etc., someone has not allowed you to be the person you are or they're taking away your right for you to feel and one of the emotions that most people would feel is fear Mm -hmm. fear of losing self fear of not being safe fear of not being able to express right so to go back into some of the self-compassion basics is to accept the fact that you feel fear to give yourself permission to feel it and to be with yourself in it with compassion which is I accept this emotion that you are feeling it's a very primitive emotion and one that you don't have to feel alone because I open up that possibility right to feel it and to recognize it which means you are showing up for yourself and you are making it okay to have that feeling Mm -hmm. and once you do that that's a step into allowing fear to be present but also to move through it Mm -hmm. and once you start feeling it usually a lot of times people will feel sadness Because around fear, there can be a loss of self that I didn't get to express, I didn't get to be, I didn't get to know safety or know myself in a certain way. So when you start to feel fear, you can also feel sadness as well. Mm -hmm. And then you're releasing more emotions. And that opens up then the possibility for some of that negative, right, self-critic that's moved in. It releases because you no longer need the control in your mind because you're fully feeling through your emotions and doing that with safety, which is where compassion and empathy come in. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, it is such a primitive thing, fear, because since the beginning of time, we've evolved in a world that is just full of threat. And so that fight or flight is always somewhat kind of in effect. And it's also this idea that fear and these negative emotions almost resemble a sign of weakness. So a lot of people are hesitant to sit with it, invite it, and just feel it and allow it to happen. Another more intuitive way maybe to prevent our inner critic is a way of bringing it, being bigger than it. So a quote from Positive, or sorry, Psychology Today reads, when we have a goal for ourselves in our lives that is bigger than being good, we are bigger than the critic. So speaking to the importance of living a very meaningful life to drown out all of the negatives that come with it. And if you feel empowered by what you're doing, it's easier to stand up to this inner critic. Um, And if you do enough good things for your mind and body, that also leaves a lot of room to convince yourself 
and convince the critic that everything you're doing is not wrong and terrible all the time. In terms of shifting negative thought patterns, I know that one of the core mechanisms in CBT is to kind of override negative thought patterns with more positive ones. So like you mentioned, uh, an example was all or nothing thinking, where it's either it's very black or white. There's no kind of in-between um, where you can think logically and explain something you've happened, but instead it's I suck at everything or I'm perfect at everything. It's very binary thinking. So how does CBT within therapy act as a good modality for healing from negative self-talk? Well, a lot of times with CBT, we're really looking at the thought distortion. So the inner critic is a thought distortion, right? It's coming up with some sort of negative lens or all or nothing or mind reading or something. So it's in there with some kind of distortion that's been internalized through, right, into an inner critic story that now is defining you. So we go into the distortions and we challenge them. Mm -hmm. We take a look at like, are they really true? Is there something that really proves that? Or is that just something now my brain has been thinking about me based on an old story or a story that someone put into my world? And so you challenge out the thinking and then you find a more positive or a more gratitude focused thought, something that allows you to really know yourself in a better way. And I mean, you can go for big thoughts and really think about, you know, the person you are is way more than that inner critic thought and think about things you've done and things you're going to do and things that you actually value and that you give to other people and so you challenge it out and really I've read research that says anywhere we think anywhere from six to eight thousand thoughts a day and I've seen up to 20 25,000 thoughts a day no matter how many thoughts we're thinking each day if a lot of them are in our inner critic thoughts then we do need to challenge them out and CBT gives us a framework mm -hmm. to be able to do that and I think also the important thing to recognize with CBT is that the strategies that come with it require a lot of repetition and practice mm -hmm. because it's not always easy to stand up to these thoughts and challenge them every day, especially with the, quant the quantity of thoughts that we have in one day. So it's really about practicing it. And with habit comes that reinforcement of the neural connections. So you can override, literally override these pathways in your brain to be more positive and start to veer away from these negative thoughts. So, but it's also okay for these tough moments to come up and to sit in them and to feel upset about them. But it's also important to be aware that there are strategies out there to override these over time with therapy or with support um, and with willpower. And the more you practice, the better equipped you can be for when this inner critic comes up in the future as well. Mm -hmm. And think of the brain like a muscle in some mm -hmm. ways, like any muscle you have to you know, use it in order to build its strength. It's the same thing when you're using CBT. The idea of CBT is that every day you're practicing, right, some of that thought distortion work where you challenge out the inner critic thoughts and you bring in better thoughts and really challenge out the truth of those inner critic thoughts because a lot of them are just based on false, you know, thoughts that someone else has brought to your world or somehow you've internalized these thoughts. And so challenge that out and bring in one, you know, just a positive and you can use that positivity to be able to shape out those neural pathways and every day, morning, afternoon, and night, I say, because your brain is on morning, afternoon, and night. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think even beyond CBT, I think that therapy and mental health, mental well-being is a very 
active process. And I, I think some people have this misconception that coming into therapy and just sitting down is enough for them to see results. But in reality, it's it's really training this muscle to think in a different way and is very, very active and conscious and requires a high level of effort. So similar to CBT and similar to going to the gym to, to see results, you do have to do that same thing um, on your own. You can sit and have a psychologist or a clinician or a mental health professional talk at you all day, but that doesn't mean you'll see any real changes until you have the motivation, the willpower to also do that for yourself. So that's an important piece as well. Yes, and I always say one hour of therapy in the office, 23 hours at home, mm-hmm. right? So you take what you've experienced in the office and then there's 23 hours at home. So somewhere in that time, at home and in your life outside of therapy you're doing application and application is what brings change if you're trying to change thought patterns and or behaviors around thought mm-hmm. patterns yes mm-hmm. absolutely okay that is everything that i have for today's episode thank you dr miller for joining me and thank you everyone so much for listening today and thank you rebecca and everyone take care be strong and stay safe